This week, Biden and Harris are sworn in as president and vice president of the United States. Democrats take the Senate majority, with Bernie Sanders as budget chair. Trump shows his fake populism on the way at the door. The future of Trumpism is in question. The media's obsession with the Democratic establishment and the Biden administration is now on full display. Biden signs 30 executive orders, Georgia voters feel betrayed, and CNN admits that they basically want to censor independent media. It finally feels like 2021 has started. This is The Matan Berg Show. Alrighty, so the land of the free now has a new president and a new vice president. Uh, Trump has officially left. He is in Florida, Mar-a-Lago. Who knows how long he will stay there. If I were to give uh, the Trump administration, the Trump presidency, sort of a a general assessment uh, and to look at the good things and the bad things, I would say the very few good things that I have to give him credit for, um, his ability to get rid of NAFTA, stop the outsourcing, uh, or at least pretend to stop the outsourcing of jobs. You know, it didn't end up actually happening, but at least he got rid of NAFTA, got in a new trade deal. Um, He wasn't uh, completely globalistic uh, and open to crazy free trade that hurt a lot of American jobs. I will give him credit for that. I will give him credit for calling out the media, something that I do a lot. Now, he didn't do it in an appropriate way. Uh, a lot of the times, you know, sometimes he would uh, bar certain media personnel from being at press meetings and he didn't have enough press meetings and that's an an entirely different issue, but I will give him credit for calling out the media. It's something I think is very important. He was the first president to really do that. And I also give him credit for starting no new wars, not much of an accomplishment. Um, He still, uh, you know, the few troops that he took away all recirculated. He still killed Soleimani, uh, which was a terrible decision and was extremely offensive and unnecessary. Um, and, you know, he was he was unable to do a lot of things on that front. All the bad things, too many to count. Um, but the, the most important thing is he ran on being this uh, po- populist figure that would, uh, you know, attack the establishment and help working people, which was just completely not what he did at all. Uh, from corporate tax cuts, rich tax cuts, uh, barely any middle-class tax cuts, uh, not being able to stop any wars or pressure that at all. He ran on draining the swamp. He became a member of the swamp, worked very closely with McConnell. And, you know, until the very end, they almost became one and the same. Uh, The Saudi arms deal that helped his businesses, constant uh, work to help his businesses, corruption, and dangerous rhetoric at times. Uh, you know, I will miss his his uh, silliness, the jokes sometimes. Uh, but for the most part, I'm very, very glad to have President, former President Trump gone, uh, as well as Vice President Pence. And it's, it's, uh, it's the end of an era, and it's nice to see them go. Now we have to move forward. Uh, so with that, on the 20th, uh, Biden and Harris were sworn in. Uh, it was a it was a fairly busy day. You know, a lot of 
formal festivities and some other uh, serious um, and impactful executive orders and other things. So at 845, they did a little uh, church service. Um, then 1030, they got to the Capitol. And 1115, you know, the official swearing-in ceremony began. There were tons of people there, um, from the Obamas to the Bushes, uh, family of Harris and Biden, and other figures in government. Um, most hilariously, of course, was Bernie Sanders with his uh, manila package folder and his mittens sitting in the chair. That was that was fabulous. Um, and it was um, that you know that went on for forty five minutes. You know there was there was poetry, uh, speakers. A lot went on. And they're officially sworn in as president and vice president. Biden gave an inaugural address, uh, which for the most part um, was fine. You know, a lot of talk about unity. I'm still very skeptical about that. Uh, I see unity more as unity within people of Congress, which I see as a bad thing. I'm more scared of what uh, our Congress and our government agrees on than what they disagree on. In other words, they agree on the war on drugs, they agree on illegal and offensive wars, they agree on almost all of them not good enough healthcare policy, etc. So uh, that's where my skepticism with unity comes. Uh, but if the rhetoric within the people, if we can be unified, that would be great. I don't think that's really possible because we weren't under Trump, we weren't under Obama, and the list goes on. Anyway, after uh, the inaugural address, um, they they did a little signing ceremony. You know, he officially signed in his nominations for cabinet. And then they went to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, more formalities. Um, they were escorted to the White House. You know, they, they walked in, um, more formalities. And then at uh, around five, they uh, he signed some executive orders. And I'm going to get into all of those later um, from that day and uh, this first week of his presidency as well. Dan, then he did a, a little Zoom uh, swearing in for his staff and uh, day one appointees. Um, more more formalities again. Um, and then there was the Celebrating America program. It was almost entirely virtual. Uh, people around the country in different states. Um, it was kind of weird. I think the the march and the these formalities, you know, whatever, it's fine. Uh, they did a press conference too at, at seven, and I will say it is refreshing to see uh, you know, press conferences really happening again. Uh, less hostility between the press, uh, between the media, and the you know the the presidential. Uh, press uh, secretary. Um, you know, that being said, and I'll get into this later, I also don't like uh, how little hostility there is. And I think that's not a good thing. And it's dangerous. But it was refreshing. And Fauci later got to say, you know, I finally get to speak my mind. You know, it's great. I don't know why he wasn't able to under Trump. But I'm glad he can now. And I'm glad he feels that way. And uh you know, we'll get back to uh, less uh, radical lying that we saw under Trump. 
And finally, to end today, uh, Biden and uh, Joe Biden and Joe Biden uh, were on the balcony. They waved. There were fireworks. Hooray! Trump is gone. Um, not as excited, or not nearly as excited as Biden coming in, but uh, it was a good day. Um, another thing I want to talk about with the inauguration day was the unnecessary amount of identity politics. Now, I don't want to undermine the fact that the uh, election and you know now serving of Kamala Harris is absolutely historical. Yes, she is uh, the first female vice president, the first uh, um, Asian American vice president. She's actually, I think, the second um, black vice president. I think people forget about that. I think Andrew Jackson's vice president uh, was a Native American, if I'm not mistaken. Nonetheless, it's still you know very very historical, and I don't want to take that away from her. And I don't want to take away Joe Biden being elected the oldest president ever. You know, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, but it's still historical. And I understand that. And I'm not trying to undermine that. But at the same time, there was so much of it that it it uh, took away from uh, and almost hid the fact that there's not enough policy being pushed. And I, I say this a lot. I feel like when you have to resort to identity politics and diversity, this is what th- sort of thing you saw at the Democratic Convention as well. It means you're hiding the fact that you don't have bold enough economic policy. It's it's almost frustrating um, when you know that yes, it is historical uh, in terms of identity, but I want this to be historical in terms of policy legislation that the president and the administration will help push. I want it to be historical for those reasons. Um, you know, yes, it is important, and it's great that we can have um, people that look like America in office. You know, I wish Kamala Harris were chosen because she was the most qualified and the best. Instead, it was basically an affirmative action vice presidency program. Um, I think it would have been more meaningful if she or another person were chosen because they were the best. I digress, but that would, uh, I think that that'll be better for the future if it will come naturally. If you're net, if you're choosing the best people, they will naturally represent America. And I think that's also important to note. But um, if I had to sum up the day, it would be too much talk of uh, impossible, unachievable unity and identity politics, not enough on policy. Um, I don't expect much more from Biden at this point, but uh, I look forward to being proven wrong. Probably won't happen, uh, but if we can see uh, some some policy being pushed forward, uh, that would be great. Now, on the congressional side of things, on the twentieth, that Wednesday, uh, at four thirty, the Senate met and they uh, installed John Ossoff. Raphael Warnock and Alex Padilla, who is replacing Harris, was nominated by Governor Newsom in California because she obviously became vice president. Uh, this gave uh, Democrats the Senate majority officially, 50 to 50, Harris breaking the tie 
Uh, like I said last week, Manchin really breaking the tie, uh, as well as a bunch of other moderate, de- moderate Democrats. Um, they came up with some power sharing agreement that basically made it so that uh, Republicans are getting more power than they should have uh, in chairmanships, um, basically because I don't think uh, Schumer wants to do that much, um, and he's okay with this, you know, unity hooray thing when it's really just let's not do anything to help, uh, or let's not do enough at least to help uh, suffering people in this country. Um, However, on the bright side, uh, Bernie Sanders became chair of budget. And this is really, really important because uh, budget reconciliation can be, you can, you can do that without the filibuster. So you don't need 60 votes to end uh, never-ending debate to actually vote on important uh, important things if you use budget reconciliation. And Bernie has come out as being uh, wanting to be extremely aggressive, uh, which is really good to get things such as health care, uh, $15 minimum wage, uh, stimulus and relief. Now, ideally, uh, since we have a majority in the House and the Senate and the presidency, uh, there's no reason that we shouldn't immediately pass Medicare for all, a $15 minimum wage, a recurring stimulus that's $2,000 for uh, the rest of the pandemic and three months after, and then it goes down to $1,000 a month or 1200 with UBI, and really aggressive relief. There's no reason not to do that immediately because we have the majorities everywhere. Uh, but uh, the establishment Democrats, that's most of them, just won't have it, and it's very unfortunate. Um, there's, there's no... I don't, I don't see, I don't understand saying that, oh, you know, this is not the time. There's, there's no better time than now. There really is no better time. People are suffering like never before. 70% has risen to about 80% of people living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, people are in thousands of debt, can't pay housing payments. And there, I really see no better time. Um, and not enough will be done. That's obvious. But with Bernie as chair of the budget, um, more will be done than would have been done, hopefully, as long as uh, the 50 Democrats can get on board with enough of what Bernie wants to do through reconciliation. And that's really the, for for purposes of uh, the budget. Uh, you know, that's as, that's as good as it's going to get in economic stuff. Um, additionally, the House and Senate have been meeting uh, quite a bit uh, this past week, more than usual. Usually they just do a bunch of pro forma sessions and just space space them out three days apart so the president can't start randomly assigning cabinet positions. So they have to say they're meeting enough, but they basically just uh, say the pledge and then adjourn. Um, they're meeting more than usual uh, to pass some Biden nominations, uh, maybe historically diverse, uh, but they're quite, uh, as usual, corporatist and uh, centrist. So no good news there. Um, however, it's you know that has been something that Senate and House are working on. The House really only just waived some requirement 
for the defense secretary and the Senate actually is to vote in the nominations. And, you know, that's mainly what they've been working on. They have delayed the impeachment trial of Trump, um, which seems sort of silly at this point as he's gone until February 8th or February 9th is when they'll start, presumably. And with that will be at least two weeks of unwanted uh, attention on Trump. We finally got rid of him, and now we're going to have to talk about him and think about him again for a month. If that doesn't work, um, you know, the Democrats, if it turns out they really actually want to make sure Trump can't run again, might use the 14th Amendment process. And if not, after all that, we can finally leave him behind. Even if he isn't barred from running again, he probably won't run again. Because like I said last week, he'd have to file uh, more financial statements proving his corruption and his unpopularity is uh, about the same as Bush when he left. And that is uh, certainly almost impossible to be president with those numbers. And speaking of Trump leaving and probably never coming back, uh, he left and proved how much of a fake populist he really is. And in other words, he pardoned once again more of his buddies and not Snowden, Assange, and other people who deserve them. Uh, the pardons. He also removed uh, a lobbyist ban that he enacted to make it so that people in the executive branch have a five-year ban uh, for being lobbyists after they leave. After after they leave, and he immediately uh, removed it just in time for him and others uh, to not have to deal with that, so they can all become lobbyists. Um, he, he went in to drain the swamp, and he became a member of the swamp. Now, as far as the pardons go, uh, he pardoned a bunch of people, over 100 people. It's actually 143 people, um, most notably uh, Steve Bannon, who, uh, was, who went to jail because uh, he raised tw- over $25 million uh, to try and quote-unquote pay for the wall. Uh, which isn't even possible because uh, it has to be publicly funded and it's not possible to do that uh, through some sort of GoFundMe program. And he went to jail because he was taking some of the money for himself and he didn't get away with it. And I actually, he didn't go to jail. He was going to face a trial. Now he's not because he got pardoned. I just want to make that clear. Um, Pardoned a bunch of other people um, and a lot of them didn't deserve him. Uh, to say the least. He actually, this one's kind of funny though. He pardoned uh, the rapper Lil Wayne. And that's actually, <laughs> I'm okay with that one. That's kind of funny. He got like a weapons charge and instead of serving for up to 10 years, he won't serve. I don't know. I mean, I think he was a Trump supporter. Uh, a lot of rappers were probably uh, for for their own economic interests, but that's actually pretty funny that he pardoned Lil Wayne. But besides that, um, after receiving briefings on why he should pardon Assange and possibly even Snowden, people who are anti-war and expose the corruption of the uh, establishment and the, especially the military-industrial complex in war and the terrible things that they did and how our security was at risk. Uh, for someone who came in to say that he was a populist, it's just so blatantly obvious, especially with the tax cuts as well. And the, and the anti-regulation 
uh, that he absolutely was not. And this makes it crystal clear. He left uh, showing his true colors. Uh, one possible reason why he might not have pardoned Snowden and Assange and others uh, was because there's a possibility that McConnell said, we basically said, we won't impeach you. Uh, the Republicans in the Senate, I won't and I won't make others uh, if you don't pardon them. And if that's the case, um, it's an extremely low move. He acted in his own interest instead of uh, the truth and what was best. I don't expect anything better from Trump. He showed his true colors on the way out the door, and I don't think he's ever coming back because of his unpopularity. Now, I promise this will be the last segment I do on Trump until at least the impeachment trial, and then hopefully uh, forever after that. I wanted to briefly discuss the future of Trumpism, um, given its recent unpopularity, uh, unpopularity of, as I've been talking about a lot. And Trump also said he's considering starting a new party, a third party called the Patriot Party, which would essentially be this um, anti-establishment, in theory, Republican split. But it's really would just be a ideologically almost exactly the same as the Republicans, but we just like to call it the media more, act more goofy, curse, uh, and pretend to be anti-war and maybe be a little different on trade. Almost entirely the same, except it's got that Trump uh, flair, if you will. Um, if that were to happen, it would I think it would really hurt the Republican Party uh, because they'd be losing a large portion uh, of their vote. If they can get candidates and get in the ballot, you know, if they can even get 10% from Republicans in each state, you know, suddenly Democrats have a much better chance. Now, Democrats would probably abuse that and just win and then do nothing, have even more of an excuse to do nothing. So it could also backfire. Uh, there could be less change. It's an interesting dynamic. Um, if he doesn't start this Patriot Party, he might start his own media outlet. Um, who knows what he'll do? He might run in 2024, and, I, and I've said a lot, it's really, really doubtful. Um, and I, th I think a, a Patriot Party could be interesting. And it would only ever be successful if it actually became economically liberal. If it became the party of economic liberals and social conservatives and actually moved away from Trump and the stupid rhetoric and um, and was still okay with anti-political correctness and, and joking, but not the dangerous rhetoric that he uses and, you know, indirectly inciting riots and talking out of both sides of his mouth. Um but if it be, could become this anti-establishment, economically liberal thing, it could be successful. But that won't happen uh, because of the, the Trump obviously showed that that's not his interest in any way. Uh, the only impact it could have, like I said, is uh, really hurting the Republicans uh, in future elections. It'd be interesting to see if it happens. Um, I'm sort of doubtful because I think it's, it's a lot of effort he probably doesn't even want to put in. And I, I think he's, you know, despite how poorly it went at the end for him, I think he's, Trump is pretty happy. You know, he got the legacy he wanted. He became president of the United States, uh, defeated all odds. And, you know, he became for sure a household name across the world. Um, and one of the most talked about said people for the last four years 
and still for many years to come. You know, he he created his own era, and he did, you know, a lot of terrible things. Uh, but his legacy, I don't I don't know if he wanted to be remembered as good, except by a bunch of a lot of crazies. I think he just wanted to leave his mark, and he definitely did that. So, will he do anything in the future? He might, uh, but if not, I think he's actually satisfied. So, as we move forward into the Biden administration, uh, we can uh, look forward, I guess, to going from four years of the media being um, outrageously anti-Trump, uh, in fact, unwilling to give him credit for anything whatsoever. Um, rightfully attacking him a lot of times on the wrong things, um, you know, attacking him more on his silly jokes on Twitter and not enough on his blatant corruption and um, especially the economic stuff, the the tax cuts for the rich, not talked about nearly enough. And his personality was talked about way too much. Um, but we can look forward to moving from that to, and I say this sarcastically, uh, this complete obsession uh, with how wonderful, uh, beautiful, perfect Biden is, how he's going to save us all. He's the champion of uni- unity, the most bipartisan, perfect, everyone loves him person of all time. Uh, it's going to be very obnoxious. Uh, I won't be listening to much of it. Because I can't, I just can't stand mainstream media. This it just drives me crazy. Um, and as perfect example of this, this is what David Chalian. Uh, he basically talks about politics on CNN. Uh, this is what he said the night before the inauguration. I kid you not. Uh, this sounds like something that not even they wouldn't even say on the media about King Jong Un in North Korea. He said, and that's a little hyperbolic, but it said, the contract on display tonight was so stark. I mean, those lights that are just shooting out of the Lincoln Memorial along the reflecting pool, it's almost like extensions of Joe Biden's arms embracing America. They're not even trying to hide it. I mean, it's not not even an attempt to hide it. But if you compare that to how they talked about Trump, and I'm not saying they should have talked about Trump like that, not by any means, but this is, I mean, that's propaganda. There's, no, there's nothing else to call it. Propaganda means the media saying exactly what the people in power would want them to say. In this case, it's the Biden administration. That's exactly what he'd want them to say, to a T. There's no being held accountable. There's no, he doesn't support Medicare for all in the middle of a pandemic. There's no, he changed from $2,000 checks to $1,400 in the blink of an eye. There's no, he wrote the crime bill, was adamant for the war on drugs throughout his entire career, dedicated four years of public service, doing a bunch of terrible things, voting for the war in Iraq and the list gets longer. It's not that. It's it's almost like Joe Biden's arms reaching out and embracing America. Really upsetting. None is just upsetting. It's like I'm pissed. It's completely unacceptable. 
um, and get ready to expect much, much more of this. If you're watching MSNBC, CNN, even NBC, CBS, CNBC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you will hear nothing but praise for Joe Biden and his bipartisanship and him being perfect. And he's uh, Jesus Christ on earth. He's the he's the return. I mean, it's, it's this is how they treat him. Additionally, on January 12th, uh, Kamala Harris, they did an, a one-hour special called Kamala Harris Making History. The CNN special report takes a closer look at the historic career of Kamala Harris, the first woman and the first black American and South Asian American to be elected vice president. They examine Harris's path to the vice presidency, including her career or her barrier-breaking roles as U.S. Senator from California and California Attorney General. Sidebar, they fail to mention uh, how many black Americans she put into jail for marijuana, and then she laughed about smoking marijuana later. That's paraphrased from Tulsa Gabbard. Anyway, continue. It reports untold details of her childhood, her upbringing in Berkeley, and the defining role her parents' activism played in her, her life. They speak with Harris herself and conduct a rare joint interview with Harris and her husband about the next four years will mean for their family. I mean, my hands are in my face. I mean, that's just, that's ridiculous. They claim to be the most trusted name, CNN claims to be the most trusted name in news, completely objective, having no bias. Don Lemon says, oh yeah, yeah, I'm not biased. I just tell my own truth, which is the definition of bias. It's absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. There's there's no look uh, taking into account double standards. There's none of that. And this is all we're going to hear for the next four years, at least. And I'm not looking forward to it. I want people to critique them from the left and from the right. And even people who are ideologically aligned with Biden and Harris, I want people critiquing them as well. This is why mainstream media is absolutely unsustainable. Independent media where people embrace their bias, admit it, and talk about it with actual substance and not just saying it's his arms embracing America. That's why that will be the future of media. Podcasts like this will be the future of media and not this absolute crap. Absolute crap. I mean, it's just disgusting that anyone could consider that objective or even media. It's propaganda. I'm not even, I'm not sugarcoating it. It's propaganda. There is no, there's it's, it's the difference between, and yes, Trump was terrible and he deserves so much criticism, but the difference is so insane. And this is why I gave Trump credit for calling out the media. Biden would never do that. And while I'm glad there's press briefings again, uh, it only the questions asked are going to be unbelievably easy. They're going to be softballs. And so there's going to be less hostility and it'll be nice and it'll give everyone a deep breath. And for people who don't care that much about politics and just want things to be normal again, fine, you get that. But if you actually care about things happening and the people in power being held accountable, that's not going to happen. And it's very frustrating, and I'm not looking forward to it at all. Um, so my talk so far about Biden and everything he's done has been mostly negative so far. And I understand that. Um, 
that those are my opinions. But credit where credit is due, uh, around 30 executive orders uh, from day one to around day three or four were passed with some in the coming week uh, being floated around, like uh, getting rid of the uh, Trump transgender ban in the military, which I think is a good thing as long as you keep the standards the same for everyone, which I think is very important. Uh, My social modesty comes in where I say, I'm absolutely for equality of opportunity, 100%, 1,000%, uh, but I think quality of outcome is a very bad thing. Even if one group has been historically persecuted, I think the best way to combat that is to uh, make things completely equal, and that is how we move forward. Um, uh, I, continuing, um, so the executive orders um, included briefly um, – he, uh, one of them, I uh, was going to undo the Trump regulatory approval process. Another is going to require executive branch appointees to sign an ethics plan. There is another that extends deferrals of deportations uh, for Liberians until June thirtieth, twenty twenty-two. It's actually my birthday. It's halfway through the year. I think that's why. Um, there was a, there's one that completely stops the construction of the border wall on the south by Mexico uh, that Trump had started. Um, as far as the border wall, you know, I've, I, I mean, I think Trump's rhetoric, rhetoric around it was definitely indirectly racist, 100%. Um, I'm not opposed to more, some sort of wall or protection or more border security because I think illegal immigration is definitely bad. And I think that's uh, one of the weak spots, the democratic party. Um, you know, I think it'd probably be smartest just to grant all, uh, undocumented illegal, whatever you want to call it, immigrants in the United States right now, uh, amnesty. And then you move from there and really double down on protection. Uh, there was another one that, uh, uh, undid Trump's expansion of immigration enforcement within the United States. And that's sort of what I'm talking about with that. But, you know, immigration is really not one of the most important things right now. Um, he also uh, reversed the Trump's uh, restrictions on U.S. entry for passport holders from uh, the seven uh, Muslim-majority countries. I think uh, the media's sort of unfair uh, characterization of this as a Muslim ban was wrong. However, I do think the uh, Muslim ban or the majority Muslim ban was a terrible thing, and I'm glad that Biden is reversing it. Again, credit where credit is due. Um, there's another one um, that's you know bringing back DACA and undoing Trump's efforts to block protection for undocumented immigrants uh, when they're brought in as children. I think that's good. Path to citizenship is important. Um, one that prevents workplace discrimination based on sexual orienta- orientation or gender. Great. Um, gets rid of the Trump 1776 Commission. So this is interesting because I think the 1776 Commission was completely not based on history in any way. All historians were against it. It was this patriotic, uh, not accurate version of American history. Yes, of course, America started in 1776 uh, with the Declaration of Independence, really, you know, 1789 when the Constitution went into place, the inauguration of George Washington. But uh, to say that 
you know, there's not more to our history is wrong. However, I'm also against the 1619 project being taught in schools uh, because I think it's up to people to uh, come up for themselves where they think America is systemically racist. I personally do. I think there's uh, large amounts of injustice in this country, but I think it's up for people to decide that for themselves. Uh, it's up, uh, School should be uh, teaching people how to think, not what to think. So I'm glad Biden got rid of this, and hopefully there's no uh, institution of the 1619 Project either. Um, he got rid of the Keystone Pipeline, which was huge. And he also uh, reversed some Trump actions on the environment in that same order. But I'm very glad that uh, uh, the Keystone Pipeline uh, you know, was canceled. Uh, Justin Trudeau uh, was against it, to which I give a sarcastic uh, crying emoji. Too bad. Trudeau, too bad, too bad, <laughs> true bad. Um, you know, the, the amount of workers absolutely is not as important as the damaging environmental impact that it has. Sticking with the environment, he rejoined the Paris Accord, the Climate Accord. That'll take 30 days. Huge, really important, really good. Um, he is extending a pause on student loan payments and interest until September 30th. Now, this is good, and I'm going to talk about the things that he did miss with these orders, uh, and I'll hint to it. Uh, student loans should be completely canceled, but I'll get to that more later. Um, he uh, is extending the the halt on evictions until March 31st. Very important, really good. And uh, he created the position of a COVID-19 response coordinator, that's also good, you know, vaccines, medical stuff. It's good. Um, I don't see a, you know, quite enough policy on on COVID coming from Biden. That being said, you know, it's hard to see what a president can do um, in regards to it. It's, you know, it's more of a state and local issue. If he can get the vaccines out, uh, you know, help with uh, medical equipment and do enough with relief, then. You know, that should be enough to leave it up to the states after that. Um, he rejoined the World Health Organization. Dr. Fauci is the head delegation. That's great. A 100 days masking challenge, asking uh, Americans to wear masks for 100 days. And you have to have masks and uh, social distancing in federal buildings. It's also great. Um, presidential directive to restore America's leadership, international pandemic response. Uh, more global health, more COVID stuff, it's all good. Uh, COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force, great. Uh, mask in airports and other transportation like trains, planes, uh, buses, certain inner city buses, great. And also you have to have a negative COVID test to come to the U.S. These are all good things. I have to give him credit for it, of course. He called on uh, the health administration to release guidance on COVID-19 more worker health and safety requirements. And there was actually, I'm not sure if it was this one, but there was one where he, where he was snuck in somewhere and the media didn't cover enough where he said that uh, if you feel like you're in, in danger at work, you can quit and still get unemployment benefits um, for, uh, for your job due to COVID. And it's also great. Um, Department of Education, there's one for that to help them reopen schools. And I think that's important. Um, FEMA, federal emergency, uh, 
organization, not exactly sure what the uh, letters stand for, uh, more community vaccination centers. It's very important because as we're seeing in states like West Virginia, where they're doing it um, in a more social, most socialistic way, uh, it's it's much more successful than when we're just giving it to CVS and Walmart and trying to have them figure it out because it's not working well. Um, more data on COVID, important. Um, more therapeutics due to the pandemic, great. More testing and testing capacity, great. Uh, FEMA to expand reimbursement to states to fully cover uh, National Guard and emergency supplies, more coronavirus stuff, all this is good. Uh, more manufacturing delivery of supplies for vaccination, great. And calls for assistance for those trying to buy food who are missed stim- or those who missed stimulus checks or those who are unemployed. That's good, and it's a first step towards relief. And then finally, uh, more collective bargaining power, worker protections, and lays the foundation for a $15 minimum wage. I'm not exactly sure what that means, um, but hopefully they can get the $15 minimum wage passed because that'll help a lot, a lot of struggling people. And you know, as we see in other countries like Australia, uh, it has very limited impact on unemployment, and uh, it'll help at least at least 20 to 30 times the people that it'll hurt. And if we're providing small business protections to counter that, hopefully that'll be good. Now, these are all almost all really good things. I have to give him credit for it. What is it missing? Biden has the power to immediately call an emergency Medicare for all program. He could do it through executive order. And I do agree that the power of the president is too much and we should be in a more of sort of direct democracy where Congress does more of the stuff but that's not at all how Congress is set up right now. And Biden has the power and has been using it for other things. He could use it for this. He decided not to. He could have rejoined the Iran deal, which would have been good to support uh, international peace. Instead, he's saying he's making them prove that they're going to do their part of the deal and then allow the U.S. to decide whether they want to join it, which is silly considering the U.S. was the one that withdrew. So they have no incentive uh, to follow the rules, considering we were the ones who removed ourselves from the deal. Uh, so that's something that was missing. Weed could have been legalized uh, through executive order. That was missing. And cancellation of student debt that I hinted to also uh, could have been done. To say that some of those executive orders, almost all of them weren't good, would be a lie. They were. However, the four things that were missing were perhaps the four most important things. And that's what's important to note. Yes, that was great, but that wasn't even the bare minimum. And that's the problem I'm having with Biden. And of course, he has time to do it. I'm extremely doubtful that he'll do any of that. He's hinted towards wanting Congress to do some of those things. But the way I see it, if you really cared and wanted to get it done, you had the power to do it, you'd do it. I I secretly think that Democrats in Congress, especially the leadership, just kind of don't want to do anything. You know, it's been apparent for the last 30 years. Nancy Pelosi said 30 years ago, we need single-payer health care, but now is not the time. What are they saying now? Same thing. If, now, if not now, when? 
not me who, this is the time. And I've said that a lot. This is the time. And it's unfortunate that uh, Biden and these moderates are not treating it like the time. Uh, and even though they're not, I give them, I give him credit for the 30 executive orders for the most part. It will help a lot of people and will help end COVID hopefully a lot faster. Also this week, in typical Democratic fashion, they ran in things on Georgia and then didn't do them. Uh, it's sort of uh, what last uh, 30, 50 years have looked like. Uh, both parties, they run on things and don't do them, and then two years later, the next party wins by running on things and then not doing them, and the cycle repeats. What didn't they do this time? $2,000 stimulus checks. They explicitly ran on $2,000 stimulus checks in Georgia. Warnock ran an ad saying, want a $2,000 check? And it had a little $2,000 check with like the Federal Reserve logo on it. Now, obviously fake, but explicitly ran on it. Joe Biden, campaign in Georgia. If we win, you will get a $2,000 check in the mail. Now it's $1,400. And instead of immediately, it's, yeah, March, maybe. I don't know. We'll get to it. You know, we don't really want to do it through budget reconciliation. So, you know, we'll try to get the 60 votes, get 10 Republicans, and be bipartisan, and it won't happen. And then we'll blame the Republicans, and they're the bad ones. And you explicitly ran on $2,000 checks. So now you're not, you're not going to do it. 1400 and it's plus 600 from last time. No, no, you said 2000 after the 600 went out. And then they wonder why they're going to lose in 2022 and why they did so poorly in 2020, even though they got a clean sweep. It was barely. They're supposed to do much better. They're supposed to gain in the House. They lost a ton. They were supposed to do much better in the Senate. They could have gotten 56 seats if they ran it all on Medicare for all. They got 50 with the help of two, with Trump, like disincentivizing people to vote. You can't run on something and then not do it and expect to win in the future. Georgia voters now feel betrayed. There was an article that came out uh, where a person who was knocking on doors said they feel like a liar because they were knocking on doors and saying, if we win, you're going to get a $2,000 check. And he said, I feel like a liar. I feel terrible. I didn't know I was lying, but I was lying. Joe Biden lied to us. Now, I don't put blame on John Ossoff and Warnock for this. They're, they're, they're fairly powerless. I'm sure if they were presented with a, a vote on $2,000 checks, they'd vote for it. But the Democratic leadership... Joe Biden decided in his relief plan, 1,400 is the magic number. It was 2,000. Yes, uh, you know, for the most part, $600, you know, may or may not be that big of a deal depending on, you know, where you are, but people really need that money. They need $2,000 recurring monthly, not 1,400 once after you promise 2,000. It's, it's really upsetting.
I'm not someone who needs that money. So I can't even, you know, if I'm mad, I can't even imagine how someone who desperately needs that money is in in unthinkable amounts of debt, of debt can't pay child care, can't afford health care, and they broke their promise. And they think they're going to get away with it and keep winning, and it's not going to happen. Now, voting for the Republicans isn't the right thing to do. It's voting for populists and progressives. Uh, but until there's enough primary challengers, you know, Republicans are going to be winning a lot. People are betrayed. And as someone who doesn't need the money, my family doesn't need the money, I still feel betrayed. Absolute failure. And Biden did some good things, but this is terrible. Uh, so the final thing I want to touch on, um, did I mention I don't like uh, the mainstream media yet? I don't know if I uh, got to that. Here's another uh, reason why. Alex Stamos, uh, who was the former Facebook chief security officer, came on CNN and basically said, we should censor independent media because you know they spread these lies about the election and it was fraudulent, which is absolutely true. But there's a First Amendment. Now... The, the, the biggest quote I want to mention that he said was, we, quote, we have to turn down the capability of these conservative influencers to reach these huge audiences. There are people on YouTube, for example, that have a larger daytime audience than CNN. They are extremely radical and pushing extremely radical views. And so it's up to Facebook and YouTube in particular to think about whether or not they want to be effectively capable networks for disinformation or not. So he basically is advocating for YouTube to take down Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder and Tim Pool. And if you don't know these people, you can look it up. But that's that's what he's advocating for. And I can't think of anything to ask people to storm the Capitol again for than to do that. Now, but Ben Shapiro didn't. There were conservative people who did, you know, said the election wasn't fraudulent too, like Ben Shapiro. It's not even what everyone was saying. But that's such a terrible, terrible idea. On all on all fronts. And the reason that these YouTubers are getting more views than CNN is because the way you are conveying news sucks. And the people are picking up on it because you suck. If you want people to watch you, try being either a little more objective or just admitting you're biased. But not this weird in between you're doing. If you want people to watch you, try holding Biden accountable for once. And, you know, mentioning that he eulogized Strom Thurmond, who gave the longest filibuster ever over 24 hours against the Civil Rights Act. He eulogized him. Like, m mention any of this. And that, you know, then you could. 
people would watch you. The re- the reason no one's watching you is because you were terrible, CNN. And this applies to the other networks as well. And advocating to have YouTube take down these independent journalists would be effectively the end of the First Amendment. Because the First Amendment is digital in the 21st century. And CNN wants their propaganda to be the only thing anyone can see. Their propaganda for the democratic establishment. People won't, they're not going to have that. Both people on the Bernie left and the entire right, not going to have that. And they're saying just conservatives now, but it'll mean everyone eventually, except those saying Biden is our Lord and Savior. That's that's what that's that's what they mean. And people have the right to say things that aren't true. And people will critique them for it and they'll make them look stupid. Instead of if you take them down, there will essentially be a, a black market for conservative false information and that'll rally them more as opposed to them being able to be rebuttaled. I can't think of anything worse. It would be really just beyond terrible. And it can't happen. It won't happen. Instead, YouTube, Twitter, they should be treated like the public square. They should be free speech. Unequivocally, unless they're advocating for violence or destruction of property, it stays on. And that needs to be what happens. Because we we are seeing now that CNN wants to censor right-wing independent journalists and eventually those on the left as well. We can't let it happen. Thanks for listening, everyone. I want to close by saying that I promise to give the Biden administration a chance and an open mind on every decision. That's no secret that I hate the guy, but I wanted to make that clear. I'll see everyone next week. The Matan Berg Show is written, produced, and edited by Matan Berg. The executive producer is Nick Newman. Audio engineering by Reed Jorkinson. Cover art and logo created by Noah Berg. Go to noahsbranding.com for all of your marketing needs.